Hello and welcome to Five Alive. We are uh, going to be studying the Word of God today in the book of John, chapter 4, 46 through 54. And uh, I um, just want to kind of go back over what we have talked about already. And uh, that was when we first came into this passage of Scripture, or actually a little bit further on down the line. Uh, we talked about Jesus, and he had approached and sat down. He was tired. Um, what was he sitting next to? A well. A well. And a woman, a Samaritan woman, she came up to the well, and uh, she was there to draw water. Um, what does that kind of reveal to us about this woman's social status? Was she wealthy? Was she poor? Was she middle class? She wasn't very social. <laughs> she wasn't very social. She was the first one there. So you're right. She wasn't very social. That's exactly right. Uh, she was probably poor because she was one of the first ones there as well. So she was trying to avoid people. And uh, what does Jesus do uh, when he's with this woman? Does he ignore her? Talks to her. Yeah, he talks to her. And then um, we come to find out that he, um, he proclaims himself as Messiah to her as the Messiah, the only Messiah. And this woman doesn't really have a very good reputation, does she? He kind of exposes that, and, uh, and yet he still tells her um, that he is the Messiah. That's very significant, I think, and I want to go into that here in just a second. Um, but then next we have the return of the disciples. They come back and they see Jesus talking to this woman, and the woman, because of the conversation she has with Jesus, she runs back into the village uh, which, which is Sinchar. We see that in verse 5 of John chapter 4. And she runs back in, and she's so excited that she leaves the water jar at the well. And she goes in, and she starts gathering uh, people and telling them, come meet this guy who told me everything I ever did. And she gathers a crowd and starts to bring that crowd to meet Jesus. And while the woman is gathering the people, Jesus uh, begins teaching his disciples a little lesson on reaping and laboring, not reaping and sowing, but reaping and laboring, and that's found in verses 34 through 38 of John chapter 4. And, um, and so that's kind of the setup for what we're going to go into today, to today. but uh, I, I think there's an important lesson that we're going to talk about a little bit today because of, of, of whom Jesus encounters next but also because this woman that we've come across so far. And it's an important lesson that we seem to forget um, today in 2020. And, and, and that lesson is that Jesus, um, he, he talked to the woman at the well. And so, uh, if you will, this is kind of like me um, taking a, uh, an extra trail in order to get to the story. Uh, of what Jesus, what, who Jesus encounters next. But um, he has a discussion with the woman at the well, and the woman doesn't have a name, right? She doesn't get a name. So, I mean, she has a name, but we aren't told what her name is. And so who would care about this unnamed woman? Yet she makes it into the Bible. Uh, next, she's a Samaritan, so she's mixed blood, or she's not a Jew, um, so therefore, she is considered an outcast from whom the Messiah, according to culture, would talk to. And so who would care about her? Well, Jesus would care about her. She was poor, as we just brought up. And so why would Jesus care about somebody who's poor? But he does. 
she is an outsider. She has the wrong skin color. She has the wrong hair color. Most people would pass by this woman and say, we don't care about her. And yet Jesus cares about her. And so here's, here's kind of the crux of what I want to bring is I, I've recently heard several different people in, in, in this COVID-19 pandemic time discussing race. And they basically say something like, we need to stick with our own race. Chinese need to stay in China. Nigerians need to stick with Nigerians. Indians need to stick with Indians. Americans need to stick with Americans. We don't need immigration. We need to keep everything the way it is. And, um, and I've heard people who claim to be Christians giving this kind of line. And it's kind of frustrating to me because I don't want you guys to grow up thinking that way. And the reason I don't want you guys growing up thinking that way is because it's a lie. It's a massive lie when somebody says, if you're going to teach somebody, you can only teach somebody that's exactly like you. So you have to become a drug addict in order to talk to a drug addict, or you need to become an alcoholic in order to talk to an alcoholic. You can't give those kinds of people hope because you don't know what they've really gone through. You can't understand the background of an African because you don't live in Africa, or you can't understand the background of an Indian because you grew up in another country, and so you can't understand what it's like to be Indian. And that's a massive lie. That's racism, period, the end. And, and Jesus did not subscribe to such types of lifestyles or living. As we saw, he talked to a poor woman at a well whom had multiple husbands before even living with the guy she lives with now. Culturally, she's the wrong person for Jesus to even talk to, and yet he has a complete conversation with him, and he even proclaims himself to be Christ, the Messiah, to her before he even has his own disciples. And today we want to say, Indians need to reach Indians, Africans need to reach Africans, Americans need to reach Americans. Hogwash. That's not true. It's a massive lie that the enemy is using to divide us and conquer us. Jesus came for the Samaritan woman, the Jordanian, the Chinese, the Indian, the Iranian, the African, the American, the Brazilian. I can go on. There's, what, 216 countries in the world. Jesus came for all. And so the racism by people today that states even this simple statement well, Jesus only traveled 30 kilometers within his ministry uh, from his home. So there's no reason for anybody to travel across the world in order to tell people about Jesus. It's a lie. That didn't stop the Samaritan woman from coming to find out who Jesus was. And it didn't stop a Greek man, whom we're going to read about here in just a second, from seeking Jesus either. And so before Xavier reads this passage of scripture, I want to ask us a, a simple question. Why do you think we always make up rules of whom we can be around? <clears throat> Why do we make up these rules? Why do we say, I can't be around that person because they are, and then we give some kind of an excuse? Why do we do that? Us as Christians or us as people? Us as people. I mean... People like to make up excuses to not talk to people a lot. I mean, I don't, I don't really know the reason why, other than maybe pride. 
arrogance. The fact that I'm better than them, so I can't talk to them. Because, you know, they're lower than me, so I can't go over and talk to them. Or, I'm better than them because I'm white, and they're a different color. White supremacy. I'm better than them, so I can't talk to them. Okay. And so I'm going to be mean to them and rude to them. Okay. Society, media, school, education, knowledge. You remember when we were in elementary school? And we we had a we had um, in America the way it was set up was say there were a hundred students in our elementary school in the third grade. Did we all have the same teachers? No. How were we split up? Uh, levels of knowledge. Of knowledge. Yeah. Like you have the dumb class, you have the intermediate class, and then you have the really smart people. And so, how did that make us look at each other? Like we were. Well, I was in the dumb class for sure. So, <laughs> until sixth grade, sixth class. But um, I always felt like really stupid. And am I able to rise above it? And by fifth class or fifth grade, I was like, I started getting moved up to the intermediate and then to the higher classes. And so, like, by sixth grade, I was all in the intermediate and upper classes of smartness. Right. And I was like, wow. But then all my friends in the dumb classes were like, it's not fair that you got, you know, to rise up and I didn't, you know, you're making me look like a dummy. I didn't know that we could come outside of our dumb class. We didn't know that we could rise, but I tried it. I mean, I asked the teacher, how do, how do I get out of this class? She sure. said, apply yourself. Sure. So I applied myself. Yeah, absolutely. I, I remember even in, uh, uh, in, in, in upper education, like when, when I was in 11th grade, I changed um, uh, states. I, I moved from Florida to Tennessee. And as I moved from Florida to Tennessee, I, I had pretty smart, I was in pretty decent classes. I was probably in the middle of the road, if you will. So the people that were on the, you know, the very advanced college level courses looked down on me and the kids that were in the not so smart classes. Um, they, they, they looked down on me cause I wasn't in there with them, you know, like, so I wasn't allowed to associate with them. I was a basketball player in Florida. And so the people I hung out with were the basketball team. And it was almost like, you can't play basketball and talk to the football players and you can't play basketball and talk to the people that play soccer and you can't play basketball and talk to the, like there was a, a, a way that society kind of shoved me into this corner and said, this is who you are and this is how you're going to behave, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and I remember um, moving to Tennessee and I was like, you know what, I'm gonna start taking college level courses. So I did. Just like you, you know, like you said, you talked to your teachers and said, hey, can I move up? And they said, apply yourself. And that's what I did. I said, hey, can I move up? And they were like, well, if you can make the grade. And so when I moved up into the college level courses in 11th and 12th grade, I was, I had, I had A's. It wasn't a problem. um, But yet that kind of also shows me that the teachers weren't necessarily, and I'm not saying anything bad about my teachers, but they weren't necessarily looking out for all of our potential because they had so many students that they were looking out for that they couldn't just spend a one-on-one individual time with me. That's why I'm not saying anything about, bad about teachers. But what I am saying is, is, yeah, you're right. Society shoves us into this corner and tells us this is who we are. And yet Jesus comes to us and says, get out of the corner. That's not who you are. I call you to be something more. He revealed, his, he revealed that he is Savior, Master, and Lord to a Samaritan woman at a well. And then he spent two days with the Samaritan people there. I mean, what a beautiful Savior we worship that he doesn't look down on us. 
I don't know about you, but that, that excites me that I can be like uh, not stuck in one place, right? And, uh, and so that, I, I just, I, I really wanted to bring that out because uh, again, that was, and maybe I need to apologize, that was something that really got on underneath my skin this week when I started hearing back from people that were um, talking like that uh, through WhatsApp messages or whatever. And I was just like, you know, I, I want to put this out there because there, there is a wrong teaching that's going on. And, and I want to do my part to help correct the record and show my Savior for whom he really is. And he really is a loving, caring God. And, uh, and so uh, that goes on into what happens next. And, and, and what happens next is John chapter 4, uh, verse 46 th uh, through 54. And uh, go ahead and, and read that, son. Okay. <clears throat> so Jesus came again into, the, into Canaan of Galilee. Cana. Of Galilee, where he made the water wine, and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus was coming out of Judah into Galilee, he went up to him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then said Jesus unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. The nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down ere my son my child die. Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servant met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. And then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend. And they said unto him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, where the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth, and believed himself in his whole household. This is, again, the second miracle that Jesus did and when he was come out of Judea to Galilee. Brilliant. Thank you so much. And, and, and so um, uh, today's scripture also has a foreign official who comes to Jesus. So we have a Samaritan woman, low society. We have a princely official who's wealthy, high society. And which of these people does Jesus turn away? Neither. None of them. Neither. Which of these people does Jesus give a difficult response to? Neither. Both. Both. That's true. Doesn't he ask the woman, go get your husband, and then exposes that she had five husbands before the man that she was living with now? But that's not a difficult response. You don't think that was a calling for a difficult response from her? No, I don't. You think that was just revealing who she was? I think it was just revealing yeah. who she was. I All don't right. think that was a difficult response. All right. Brilliant. Because what does, when Jesus says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Is that a difficult response? Or is that trying to prove something inside the nobleman? I think it's the same. I think it's exactly what you just said, Blair. I don't think it's a difficult response. I think it's a revealing response that helps us look into the heart of the matter. Right. I mean, because Jesus, Christ Jesus approaches us all differently. Yeah. And we're all uniquely different. Exactly. Which is, I think, is the beauty of Christ. I mean, no different than how every snowflake is different. We are all, we're all different. Perfect. I, I completely agree. I mean, it's just so amazing to me that Jesus would give such hope, 
no matter the social status, no matter the corner that the society has pushed somebody into, that he is um, not equal in the way he approaches us. He is individual in the way he approaches us. Right. And so um, what we see is, is we see belief um, exercised in this, uh, this nobleman, if you will. And so I, I just had a few things. Um, the response of Christ, like when he says this, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Miracles, signs, wonders, those are to be a sign of God or a witness of God's compassion upon us as mankind. Right? Yeah. Uh, at the same time, miracles aren't normal. If they were normal, then they wouldn't be miracles, right? Right. Mm. And so if they're a, a, a witness of God's compassion on us, why is it that we expect a miracle every second of every minute of every day? And if we don't get it, then God's not just, or God's not loving, or God doesn't care about us. Uh, um, another thing that I really find fascinating is, is if, um, in Numbers chapter 14, verse 11, um, God is speaking to Moses here, and he says this, um, this, this very verse says something that's very similar to what we just heard um, Jesus say, and the Lord said to Moses, how long will the people despise me and how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs and miracles that I have done among them? Like that's an Old Testament thing that Jesus is re-quoting and that shows me Christ's true divinity isn't only in his deeds and his actions and his teaching, Jesus' divinity is because he is 100% man and he is 100% God. Um, some people, uh, as I was doing a study on this passage of scripture, believe that this is kind of a rebuke to the nobleman, which is not what we started discussing already because we said this is kind of a revelation of the man's heart and how the man would respond to Jesus. And, um, but the people who believe that this is a rebuke, they say that this pushes the nobleman um, to reveal um, his heart, emphasize his sin or his weaknesses in order to prepare him for mercy as his request is granted. And so that's another way that we can look at this. But uh, um, on top of it, faith based only on works or only on miracles alone is insufficient and incomplete. This type of faith quickly turns... Um, to scorn or hatred or loathing or ridicule, mockery of the miracle worker, and how often we see that in our society today of what I was saying just a second ago, like, if God really loves me, then he's not going to allow me to get COVID-19 because I'm a good person. Or our church isn't going to get shut down because of COVID-19 because we're the church, and, and, and you know what? God's not going to allow that to happen. What, what kind of thinking is that? That doesn't go along with biblical thinking. It doesn't even go along with this statement that Jesus said. You're always dependent on miracles. Why are you always dependent on miracles? And um, uh, how about this one? Because I, I've prayed for others and seen them healed, God's going to heal me in my scenario right now. Like, that's the way people believe. Is that a right way of thinking or is that... 
mistaken. It's mistaken. I think it, I think it's mistaken because mm. then you're leaving your people, your loved ones behind with a falsity and a false hope. Because when one speaks such words and then action is taken against that person, maybe they, they do die. Maybe they are imprisoned. Maybe they, they lose sight of who Christ is because they're wanting to become Christ. Yeah. I mean, it's man taking man's situation into their own hands instead of fervently believing on who, who and whom Christ Jesus is. Yeah. I mean, Christ suffered on the cross. Why in the world are we so a bliss, so <laughs> to say, that we're not going to suffer? Right. Right. I wrote down a few a few phrases. I said, "Miracle chasers seek an event, not a savior." Mm -hmm. um, I I I think this one is very apropos. Miracle chasers seek justification and not justice. Miracle chasers seek self loving ego and not the master. And miracle chasers seek their own will, not a loving God. And, and I'm not saying that miracles are insignificant, but they're not what I hang everything of my faith on. Like, miracles are to point me to a deeper love with who God, whom God is and, and, and how much I love him. And I don't love him less because a miracle doesn't happen. And I don't love him necessarily more because a miracle does. But a miraculous and loving God takes care of my needs. And sometimes he has to say no. Mm -hmm. And that is actually the loving move for me. And it's not one that I like, but I'm not God. And so I had one question before we move off of the topic of belief. And that is, why do you have belief in Jesus? Oh. Why do you have belief in Jesus? My belief in Christ Jesus is his love for me. God sent his son down here on this earth for me. Yeah. He died on the cross, the, the perfect sacrificial lamb. Right. Died on the cross for me. Yeah. And what a sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And what I be willing to lay myself down for others. Mm. I mean, in that moment, I mean, I had, to, I had to ponder that. I mean, I asked Christ Jesus into my heart when I was eight years of age. Yeah. And so my deep little eight-year-old self <laughs> had to think, would I lay my life down for my mom? Would I lay my life down for my brothers? Mm. No, not my brothers, no. My mom, <laughs> yes. My dad, yeah. But my brothers, uh-uh, you forget about that. Okay, okay, God, you're, you're pretty cool. I mean, how wild. I mean, it wasn't just for me. It was for all mankind who believe. Yeah. And that was just so vast yeah. to my eight-year-old self yeah. that I was like, this God thing is real. And how about how much more you've grown now that you're a mom of a university student, right. a high school student, a middle school student? Would you lay your life down for your brothers today? I would. And have you proven that? Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, now, fast forward all these years, now I am age 42, and yes, 
I would lay my life down for my brothers, yeah. both of them. I would lay my life down for their wives, for their children. I would lay my life down for my friends, my neighbors, if 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 I need to. Yeah. I, I, I'm most willing. And so and so, has your faith, uh, your belief, has it? Because that's what I wanted point number one to be is is your belief. Has your belief grown? over the years and a steady constant growth or has it grown a little bit and then wavered like shrunk down a little bit and then grown a little bit more and then shrunk down a little bit and then grown a little bit more like there's a steady growth pattern to your belief but there that's not to say that every single second of every single moment of every single day your belief has been constantly getting stronger sometimes you've had weakness am i right or am i wrong you're right absolutely and what about you son or or even mallory i was even like you said, Mommy, last year's, not last year. So, like, 2018, 2019, I was contemplating a lot of the same things Mommy was, but I was going even further into it. I was thinking, well, if God died for me, which is crazy for him to die for me, the least I could do is be like him and die for sacrifice my life for somebody else. And so I started thinking it through. Would I die for my sisters, my mom and dad? Yeah. Would I die for my friends? Yeah. But then, would I die for... Um, uh, someone who's committed a crime? Would I die for a complete stranger I've never met in my life? Mm -hmm. Would I go out of the way to help someone I don't know who could be a cruel, evil person and still die for them? Mm -hmm. And thinking about it, I'm thinking it's it's hard. It would be hard to do that, to die, die for someone you don't even know, someone who has done horrible things, yeah. but still doing it out of love and kindness for them. Yeah. And at that time, I was mad at people. So um, <laughs> uh, then I, I learned, I started praying that if I have to die, I want to die for someone else. Because like, if... God sacrificed his life for me, then I should sacrifice my life for him. Mm. And he gave himself for criminals. Uh, exactly. who have done bad things. I've done bad things and he gave his life for me. So, yeah. yeah. So the least I could do for him is sacrifice my life yeah. and everything in me yeah. for his cause. Yeah. Like Romans 12 talks about, I am a living sacrifice, right? right. Yeah. Right. Right. Did you have anything to add? Uh, the question is, why do you have belief in Jesus? I think that when I was four, that was like the first time I believed in Jesus, but I had a more of a vivid imagination of him, and I didn't really understand the concept of being a Christian when I was younger. And then um, last year, I was at um, a camp, a pre-camp before I went to camp, and um, that's whenever um, I first came to the Holy Spirit. Okay. And I feel like that was most when I first came to Jesus because I recognized more of Him. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Um, so our belief is growing, and and, and we have times of wavering or or, or shortcomings, um, but. Uh, Overall, as we continue to trust in him, depend on him, and see him, and how beautifully he's working in our lives and the lives of our family and those around us, the, the, the more our belief actually 
grows if we will allow it. Like, we can stop it from growing. But he doesn't want our faith or our belief to stop. He wants it to continue to grow. And so I kind of, uh, uh, without meaning to, kind of badmouth miracles a little bit. And yet now I want to go into the fact of how important miracles and healings are. Um, because, and that is point number two. And that's what we see in, in verse 50 here is that Jesus healed this, this man's son. And, uh, and, and he did it in the very hour um, that he had spoken, uh, uh, go and your son will live. Uh, and we see proof of that because the father the next day says, uh, when did my son get well? And it said at this time of the day. And he's like, that's the same time Jesus said, go and your son will live. And so 20 miles separated Jesus from where this boy was at. And yet uh, area mass didn't prevent the healing from taking place. Like Jesus didn't have to go put his hands on this boy for the boy to be healed. Jesus spoke it and it happened. And, um, and that's so miraculous and such a beautiful sign, such a wonderful miracle. Um, and so I wanted to just kind of mention uh, a few things. And then I want to ask your opinion on a couple of other things as well as give my own input. And that is God's, and these things are God's intervention through miracles um, removes the fear of death. God's intervention grants me more time together on this side of heaven sometimes. Uh, God's intervention in giving me a miracle provides hope for my future. Uh, God's intervention is a provision for me sometimes. Like Blair, you were talking about like financial. Sometimes it's a financial miracle. I remember when we were um, very young, newly wed, uh, we had a young uh, baby in our arms and we couldn't pay all our bills and we would pray at night holding our bills up in the air, asking the Lord to pay our electric bill or our rent or any of those things. And we had no idea where the money was coming from. And we just believed in a miracle that it was going to happen and that these bills were going to get paid. And he actually, he did it. He paid our bills. I remember working for a furniture company called Heilig Myers. And I remember a guy from the sales floor came up to me and he goes, how is it possible that you're smiling today? I mean, this is 20 years ago. And he said, I know how much money you get paid. I know how much your rent is. I know how much food costs. And there's no way that you're able to afford to live, to provide for your wife and to provide for your baby. And I said, you're exactly right. I'm not, but God is. Right. He miraculously provides for me every single day. And he does. And, 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 and so... That is the importance of miracles. And, and so I want to ask you this question, and, and, and hopefully it's not too intimate of a question, um, but I was healed at Fortis Hospital here in Mahali in 2017, January. Mm -hmm. What significance did that have on your faith? Wait, what, when was that? It was three years ago in January. Which, uh, which accident? Uh, it was when I was in the hospital because I had the um, colon blockage and oh, I was I was rupturing with inside of my body and I was I was dying. Yeah, yeah that one. Okay. Okay. I mean, not that I didn't almost die from a heart attack a couple months later or any of those things. But I mean, like, but how did that how did that miracle of God healing me in the hospital? How did that um, uh, impact your faith or how did that did that change your faith? Did it strengthen your faith? Did it weaken your faith? What, what, what did it do? And just be honest. Just be honest. Be honest, my life. 
<laughs> How did it affect your faith whenever daddy was in the hospital? When was he in the hospital? Three years ago. Three years ago. Three or four times. <laughs> oh. I don't really know. <laughs> okay. That's fine. That's a good answer. Because yeah. I was always at, like, my friend's house. Mm-hmm. And that and mommy always made sure that I was with somebody having fun. That way I wouldn't really understand that you're in the hospital. Because, like, I never knew where you were. Yeah. Because, like, whenever um, I did school, I'm like, hey, where's Daddy? And Mommy's like, oh, he's in the hospital. I'm like, cool. (laughs) Okay. Because I didn't really have much of an understanding. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, good answer. I was scared. Okay. Because you, your body was dying, shutting down. And that means I'd have to take up the responsibilities you have. Well, I was 10, 11. And well, so three years ago. Three years were, ago. You were 12. Yeah. 12. It's 12. But I felt like I had to put on so much responsibility if you had to leave. In that if you did die, that we would have to go back to America and all this other stuff. And that was hard. But I just remember praying a lot and knowing you were going to be fine. I mean, it didn't, it didn't really affect me. But knowing that you're going to be fine, why? Because of the Holy Spirit. Okay. The comforter. Mm. He told me you were going to be fine, and I was fine. Yeah. There's more significance in that answer than I think you even realize in this moment. Because, I mean, we, are, we're, we started podcasting our, 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 our Five Alive devotions, and, and maybe that's exactly, you know... That, that so significantly speaks uh, to life, especially during this pandemic time that we're in right now. Did you have anything to add there, uh, Blair? Yeah, it, I mean, it was definitely another time of you, my husband, at a weak point of life, of non-life, and the um, doctors and incredible doctors and incredible um, staff um, that intervened through their knowledge of what your body was going through and ultimately prayer was a big benefactor but getting the word from the doctor the overall head doctor going I don't know if your husband's going to pull out of this this is a lot worse than we had anticipated and so just, if there's bear to bad news, I will be the one that bears the bad news. Mm. You only listen to me. Yeah. And of course, you know, in those moments, my mind always goes to listening to the voice of the Lord. Mm. And I did feel at peace. I did feel, okay, this time he's going to come through. Mm. I just, I have an assurance in my heart that you were going to pull through. Later on that year, that was a different story. But in this, in, <laughs> in this, this particular, in this particular moment of 2017 January, I knew you were going to pull through, yeah. and it was you were in the hospital for several several days. Yeah, seven or eight days. And it was yeah. like that sixth day, the doctor came in and he goes, 
it's gone. Yeah. He goes, whatever blockage was going on, it's gone. Yeah. I can't find it. I've done x-rays. I, I've well, it was a through. CT scan that it, right. that it, it, um, it, it I was healed at, it, during a, uh, just before a CT scan. Yeah. And, uh, it was, to me, that was a mighty miracle. Yeah. Because I mean, we could have lost you. Right. Or, or, or not. Right. Right. And, uh, and, and, and so I, I have a question for myself or, or a statement and, and I'm going to kind of set it up um, and I can set it up two different ways. Uh, I can set it up at the, um, the pregnancy of Xavier and I can set it up at the pregnancy of Mallory. And, and that is, is there was a moment in my life where I was told by the doctor that I was going to lose my child and my wife. And it didn't just happen once. It happened. It actually happened with all three of you guys. Um, but the one that was the longest standing uh, was was with Xavier and again with Mallory in the scenario of, of, of I can remember um, going into the doctor with Xavier when you were pregnant with Xavier and, and the doctor's um, saying, okay, you've started spotting blood and here's the reasons why. And he said, and you can lose the baby and your life can also be taken. And I can remember my response was not hatred or mockery of whom God is. But my, my response was, I love you, God, and I love my wife, and I love this baby. I didn't even know if he was going to be a boy. Uh, you know, he, he is. Um, but I, I didn't know the sex of the baby at the time. And, and I was like, I, I know that you can give us a miracle in this. And, and my faith kind of increased in that moment. And then it subsided a little bit. And I would have a bad day where I would think the world is going to end. And then I would go over to, we, we lived near the church um, in, in, in Tennessee. And I would go over to the church and I would just for hours uh, just sit there in, in, the, um, in the church auditorium uh, at the altar area and I would just sit there like I wouldn't even necessarily pray I wouldn't even necessarily say anything I would just sit there and allow like you were saying earlier the Holy Spirit to just comfort me and the same thing with when Mallory was, Blair was expecting Mallory like we didn't even live together I was a single father for like six months because of how sick you were and, and you were in Nashville and I was in West Tennessee and we were three hours away from each other and I'm taking Addison to school and I'm taking Xavier around with his bucket on his head and, 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 and trying to do life and, and, and work my job and make sure that they're in school, make sure that they're doing their work. I mean, that's when I cut your hair and put it inside of Addison's project. You know, I mean, I did, we did all kinds of weird stuff and, and the whole time, like my faith didn't, it didn't waver, but that's not to say I didn't have bad days. And that's not to say that every day was a pinnacle of excitement where I was like, God's going to give my wife a miracle. and I'm going to have her still because there were those moments that I had no idea if you were going to survive right. and it crushed me. And so I needed a miracle, but the sign and the wonder and the miracle, as exciting as it is, as boosting as it is, and as often as I pray for miracles, the result or the answer to my prayer is not always that there's going to be a miracle. Sometimes the answer is the miracle is taking the person on to heaven. Sometimes the miracle is, as much as Dave Ramsey would hate me to say this, sometimes it's debt. 
sometimes it's a loss. And, and I know people don't want to think that way, but that's reality, folks. Reality is sometimes there's loss. And that does not change who God is. Right. It does not mean that I stop praying. It doesn't mean that I stop anticipating a miracle. It does not mean that I lack faith. And it doesn't mean God isn't real. Instead, what it does is it drives me to my knees and gives me a desire of a faith that I expect miracles to happen when I pray. And I trust God even when the sign or wonder doesn't happen. I have to pray with anticipation that my loved one's going to be raised from the dead and I have to be satisfied that they're not, when they're not, I have to be satisfied that the miracle still took place and that they're with the Lord or something else. Because not every time somebody dies do they go be with the Lord, obviously. But at the same time, I trust God that the right thing is going to happen because I'm not God. And that brings us to point number three, and that is trust. Mm -hmm. So we have belief, we have miracles, and we have trust. Where is my trust? Is my trust in myself? Is my trust in my God? Is my trust in my boss? Is my trust in my friends? Is my trust in my parents? Is my trust in my children? Is my trust in my finances? Is my trust in my health or is my trust in the Lord God Almighty is my trust in the Lord God Almighty and the answer to that question can't come from us just discussing it right now can it my trust is proved in my lifestyle my lifestyle answers this question God is everywhere present and he looks at and 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 look at the fact that Jesus did not lay hands on the boy who was 20 miles away, but the boy was still healed. And that question is, is do I trust him? Do I trust him? And that's, a, that's an important thing. And, and I don't really have anywhere else to go with that other than just to let that question kind of hang over us today and call us to a point of repentance if we don't trust in him. Repenting meaning to, um, uh, to go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to forgive me for not being, a trust, being trusting of who he is and what his overall overarching plan is. Repentance meaning that I don't place all of my hope and trust in all of worldly circumstances like a president or a prime minister or a government but I put my trust in Jesus. A repentance meaning that I don't put my trust in a soon coming revival that may not or may come, but instead I trust God in spite of what my expectations call me to expect. I wanna trust in him. I want my belief to grow. I wanna see miracles done and I wanna see my brothers and sisters trust in him. My brothers and sisters meaning my neighbors. My brothers and sisters meaning my coworkers. My brothers and sisters meaning my fellow students. My brothers and sisters meaning the people I run across in our apartment complex uh, or, or when we're going to the uh, Subsea market just outside of the gate here or wherever we go. I want to make sure that I don't trust them over God. I want to trust Him. Is there anything that I'm missing with this 
fact of trust or anything that you can elaborate on in order to just encourage us today to be more trusting of who God is and not place ourselves above God, but instead submitting to his lordship? You can hear my throat is all going all weird. <laughs> Been a little sick the past couple of days and my throat's like being funky right now. But is there anything else in trusting the Lord? All right. Well, then let's close today in prayer and let's remember to allow our belief to be strengthened, miracles, to pray for them, expecting them to happen, and let's trust in God. And, uh, and so we just want to, we want to lift the Lord up right now. We want to pray. And Mallory's going to lead us in prayer. So go ahead, Mallory. Oh, okay. Um, thank you, Jesus, for this day and uh, for everybody in the whole entire world. Uh, and... Um, uh, And for um, us to believe us in miracles and trust God. Miracles and trust God, and to trust yourself for every single thing you do. You just say my prayer, Amen. Amen. Amen.